Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. I've been talking about the patriarchs and how they fit into the divine narrative or God's story. And what we learn about who God is and what he is up to based on them. Uh, So we looked at Abraham the first week that I was talking and how he starts off kind of the introduction to God's story and the introduction to God's work to restore relationship with his people. And Abraham is the foundation of that because he starts it off with something extremely important. He's the father of faith. And that this relationship with God is going to be founded on faith. It is going to be the central pillar of relationship and God's work to restore his relationship with his people. It's going to be founded on faith. And Abraham represents that. And all who, uh, all who believe as Abraham believes in God, then we will be part of the family of God. And we're like the stars that are up here in the sky that he looked at that night. We are part of that family that he saw because we believe like he believes. So it's the foundation of faith. And then Isaac, we talked about last week, sets the tone for sacrifice. That, we, that God knew what it would cost him to be in relationship and that he was going to have to sacrifice on our behalf. And he set that tone with Isaac all 2,000 years before he ever sent his son to be with us. Uh, and, and so sacrifice is part of relationship with God. God knew that. He understood that it was going to cost him something. Even though he had done nothing wrong, God was still going to have to sacrifice for relationship with us. And he doesn't, it doesn't stop there. He invites us into that relationship with him. As Jesus says that we are supposed to pick up our cross and follow after him, that means we are supposed to live sacrificially as he lived. And that's not so simple as just offering up our life. No, we have to live an entire life sacrificially. Um, and if we do so, that, that, by the way, requires faith, the faith that Abraham had. We have to be able to trust God to live sacrificially. But if we do, then as God promised Abraham and his descendants, we would not just be blessed by God. We will be a blessing to all the nations, all the people that we are around. So if you live sacrificially and trust in God and have that faith, then you will not just be blessed in your life, you will be a blessing to all those around you. And so we see these two pillars that have been set in God's introduction to his story of Abraham and Isaac, and the third one being Jacob, the third of the patriarchs. And he sets yet another uh, standard that's going to be part of God's relationship in his restoration process. Um, But before we get into him and, and that story, let's pray. God, um, thank you. Thank you for um, this chance, this opportunity. Um, You know uh, that you've laid this on my heart months ago to share these words, and with them there's a lot of weight that I I care about personally. Um, So I pray, Lord, that you help me share them well. Um, But ultimately, these are your thoughts and your ideas and and your words. So, God, I pray, Lord, that um, you, you do what you need to do in this time. You speak to us in the ways you need to speak to us. You work through me. You work around me. Whatever you need to do, God. This is your time. I give it over to you. We all give it over to you and ask that you teach us and and you guide us and you mold us and make us into the people you want us to be. Uh, Be with us time. We we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So uh, before we get into Jacob, I want you to mentally do this. Um, Take what you think of this story and set it aside. That a lot of times when we look at the story, you've, who's heard about Jacob before? The third of the So you, you probably have ideas. You know parts of the stories. Uh, you may know the whole thing really well, and you're like, I could teach this. And by the way, if you want to, no. Uh, but t- 
take it and set it aside for a moment, uh, because I think we tend to read a lot of things into the story that aren't actually there. Uh, And you'll, you'll start to pay attention to that as we read through. So set aside for a minute, and then let's just read through the story. Let's cover what happens, and then let's start to think about what that means, okay? Uh, We're going to read Genesis chapter 25, uh, verse 19 through 28. It's going to be in your notes. It's going to be on the screen, or if you want to go old school, read from the Bible. It says this. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Padan Aran, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger." When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau, which in Hebrew means hairy. It's a good name. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So his name, so he was named Jacob, which means grasping heel. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. All right, so this this is the beginning. First of all, let's take a look at what happens. Isaac and Rebekah... Uh, aren't able to have kids yet. They, they haven't had kids, which is a, a narrative that appears many times in Scripture, and I think there's a reason for this. Uh, I think God allows, well, doesn't allow children to a lot of his people, the, the main people that are part of his story, uh, because it forces them to recognize that he is the one that gives life, not them. It gives them the, the opportunity, the opportunity to recognize that they can't have children without God. God is the one that has gifted them the ability. If they tried on the very first try and they had a kid, they might be able to walk away with the idea that it was their creation and their, their child and, and they have all responsibility and right and privilege over it. But if they have to wait and they have to pray, they have to worry about it, they might recognize that this is actually a gift from God. Uh, so God is giving his children an opportunity to recognize that their kids are actually his kids, and the miracle of life is something that he has given. Uh, But anyway, that's just my speculation. But Isaac does something cool here. He prays. He decides, I'm going to ask God for a child. My wife hasn't had a kid yet. I want a child. I'm going to pray for a child. His father, if you remember, Abraham, was waiting for a kid for a very long time. He was 100 years old before Isaac was born. And uh, it took a long time for, for him and Sarah to get pregnant. But nowhere in that story do we hear Abraham go and say, okay, God, 
please give my wife a child. I'm not saying that didn't happen. I'm sure it did. But nowhere in scripture do we hear Abraham go and pray to God. In fact, all we hear about Abraham was just like him complaining to God, like, hey, you said I was going to have kids. Where are my kids? That's as far as Abraham really got. But Isaac has learned a little bit of progress here in the relationship. And he has decided to pray to God and ask God for a child. And God responds and, and gives them children. Not just one, but two. There's two children in her womb. And then Rebecca is struggling because they're starting to fight. I, I've never been pregnant, so I don't know what this feels like. Um, but I have to imagine it's kind of uncomfortable to have like a living thing inside of you. You ever think about the first person that got pregnant, the first woman that got pregnant had no idea what was going on? It's like, what is happening? You know, like, what is this thing? And now there's two of them and they're fighting each other. And I imagine that she's probably trying to sleep at night and they're fighting and they're not, and it's not easy for her. And so she's not getting much sleep. And so she just goes before God. It's like, what is happening? What have you done to me? You know, like, this was a horrible thing. And God responds. And actually, this is in Hebrew, this is poetry. Uh, he he's, he's responds in a poem and he tells her uh, that the, there are two nations within her and they will be separated. One will be stronger than the other and eventually the younger will, or the older will serve the younger. Um, and so he, he is making a prediction. Now understand, in that, none of that was God saying, I am choosing to reject your older son and I am going to bless your younger son because I love him more than the other. God didn't say that. I think sometimes we read that into the story because we know how this story ends and we know where this all ends up leading but what all God said was there's two nations in your womb and they're, they're fighting each other and they're going to keep fighting each other. At some point, they're going to be separated. But one day, the older one will serve the younger one. And so that's all God has said to Rebecca. And I'm assuming, this is an assumption, but at some point, she probably tells Isaac that. She probably relays this, this vision or this uh, poem that God has given her to her husband. Uh, but we don't know. Now, uh, they, they named these children. Now, I want to focus on Jacob's name because his name will change, and it, that's one of the key factors of this story, is that Jacob's name means that he is literally a heel grabber. Uh, but another way of saying this is like he's a tripper or he, a deceiver, uh, a usurper. So there's a lot of different ways to translate it, but it just basically means that he is going, he is, he's kind of tricky. He, he's deceitful. Um, and so it's kind of an interesting name. Like Esau just gets named Harry because he's Harry. Like that's, that's pretty easy. Later in the next part of the story, it says that he also gets called Edom sometimes, uh, which means red. So he's a ginger and he's red and hairy. And so they just named him red or hairy. Um, so that's, that's just what they call Esau. But Jacob is this kind of deceiver and his name is, is l- playing into that. Now what happens after this story is... is that the boys grow up, and as we saw, Isaac has a favorite, and Rebecca has a favorite. Isaac likes his son Esau because he's strong and manly and masculine and kills animals and makes good stew. I'm going to be honest with you. It makes sense to me. Like, strong, hairy man, like, way to go, son. I'm proud of you. You know? And then there's this other son who likes to stay at home. And and guys, like, let's be honest. I'm the stay-at-home mama's boy. I would have totally been the Jacob in this story where I'm just like, (laughs) I'd rather not go hunt. Like, that's that's too much. That's waking up too early and killing something. I don't know. Anyway, uh, you're judging me now. I got it. Um, But Isaac liked Esau, and Rebecca liked Jacob. 
And remember, she had heard that vision, or she had heard that prediction that God had said, and so she's believing that because Jacob's the younger, eventually Esau's descendants will serve Jacob's descendants, and she believes God has blessed Jacob over Esau. Uh, But what happens after this story is immediately following this, uh, one day Esau is going out hunting, and uh, he, he goes in and kills some stuff and, you know, whatever he's going to do. But he's super hungry. He gets home and he's famished. And Isaac had just made a stew. And uh, so he's making this stew and, and he's, he's cooking it up. And Esau comes home. He's super hungry. He smells it. You ever smell something when you're super hungry? You're like, mmm, I want some of that, you know? And so, like, he comes home and he, he's, he's dying for this. And he says, Jacob, give me some of the stew. And Jacob says, I will if you sell me your birthright. So Jacob is trying to use a piece of food to deceive Esau into giving him his birthright. Kind of like the creation story where Jacob's actually the snake and he's deceiving Esau. Anyway, uh, there's a lot of stuff you could pull out in this story and there's a lot of connections, but uh, Esau or Jacob is kind of deceiving Esau into giving him his birthright. Which, the birthright, by the way, is a simple thing. It's the right of birth for the firstborn son. So in their culture, this is a cultural thing, in their culture, the firstborn son would get two-thirds of the inheritance and the other children would have the one-third inheritance. They were also responsible. They, ha- they had the rule and responsibility of taking the two-thirds inheritance. Um, so Esau was supposed to get that because he was the firstborn, but right now Jacob's offering him, hey, you give me the two-thirds, I'll give you the one-third. I'll have the right and the responsibility of being the, the firstborn son, but you can have this stew. And Esau takes the deal. Because Esau decides, I'm going to die. He's a bit dramatic. I'm going to die if I don't eat right now. You ever been that hungry? You're like, I need to eat right now. Some parents in this, kid, you've heard your kids, you know, you've, you've heard your kids say something like this. So he's like, I'm going to die if I don't get this right now. And so he's just like, you know what? I don't care about the birthright. Take the birthright. Give me this too. And so they make this deal. Apparently, birthrights are tradable. Um, didn't know that before this story, but there you go. So there, that's now Jacob has the birthright uh, because he, he sold it to him. Esau, it says he despises the birthright now, uh, probably because he doesn't have it, um, but he doesn't care about it. And obviously, he didn't care enough about it. He, he tra- traded a stew for it. Uh, and then... After that story comes another story where Jacob uh, or, or Isaac has decided to bless Esau. The blessing is, is these words that would be proclamated. This is more of a spiritual thing where he's passing on the blessing of the family, like Abraham, Isaac, and he's passing it on to Esau. Because remember, Esau is his favorite. And he was the firstborn, so he has some cultural reason to say, Esau, you're the one that's going to be blessed. Even though Rebecca had this prediction from God this, this uh, thing that God had told her that Jacob would eventually be the one that was blessed by God, that Jacob's f- descendants would be the nation that ruled over Esau's descendants. Now, he already has the birthright, um, so technically it should be Jacob being blessed, but yet Isaac wants to bless Esau. And it, we don't know. Uh, you could read whatever you want into this story. Again, like it, it's hard to understand, but I, I'm betting that he wants to bless Esau. He wants Esau to carry on the family name. He wants Esau to be the one that's known for the, the, as the next head, the next patriarch of the family. Because again, he likes, es- he likes Esau. He's a strong, hairy man. He's, he's, people know him, and he, he's a good guy. He doesn't want the, you know, the mama's boy. Uh, but Rebecca, 
Rebecca's determined because she knows what God had said and she likes Jacob and she wants to make sure that Jacob ends up with a blessing. So uh, Isaac, who's old and now uh, mostly blind, is going to bless Esau and Rebecca and Jacob come up with a plan to trick him. And so he dresses up like Esau. He puts on sheep's wool. Apparently Esau was real hairy because he puts on sheep's wool. And uh, he, he puts on Esau's garments and stuff. And he goes before and he makes the stew. Again, stew is involved in this story. It's kind of weird uh, how that keeps coming up. But he comes before Isaac and uh, Isaac blesses him thinking that it was Esau. And so now he has stolen the blessing too. Uh, and then... Esau comes home right after that. Jacob flees a little bit. He just runs away. And then Esau comes back before his father. Here's the soup that I made for you. Uh, Now bless me. And it says that Isaac shudders. He shudders. And he's like, oh, no. I just blessed someone. Was that not you? And Esau's like, no. And so he realizes that he just blessed Jacob, that the blessing was given to Jacob. And he does know this. Like Esau says, well, you just said some words to him. Say the words to me. It, cancel that out and, and say the blessing to me. And, he's, and Isaac, to his credit, understands that that's not how this works. He was giving a blessing by God, and it was supposed to go to Jacob. And even though he probably knew that, he chose to give it to Esau and found out that he ended up giving it to Jacob anyway. So maybe this is Isaac being confronted with the fact that God had told him to do something, and he realized that he was wrong. And so maybe that's what he's shuddering about. And he's like, oh my. And so he tells Esau, I cannot bless you. I cannot give you the blessing I gave to Jacob. But he does give him a blessing. It's a different kind of blessing. And it's a lesser blessing. And it sounds kind of like a curse. And so Esau is livid. He is not happy. Now he's lost his birthright. He's lost that inheritance that he was. And now he's lost the the blessing, the patriarch status that he was supposed to get. He's now lost that too. And he wants to kill his brother. Another tie-in to another biblical story. Brothers wanting to kill brothers. Uh, so he wants to kill him, and Jacob decides to run away. Uh, actually, Rebecca tells him, you need to run away. And Rebecca also, by the way, to her credit, she says, I will take the blame for the, all this deception. I will, I will take the blame. And we never hear about Rebecca again. She, she's done from the story. So I don't know what happens after that, but from that point on, she, the consequence, at the very least, is she's separated from her favorite son, and they never get to reconnect. Uh, so yeah, Jacob runs away, and on his way, he stops at this place, and uh, he lies down for a nap. And where he's sleeping, he gets a vision, a dream from God about this ladder, and God is actually passing on the blessing that God had given his grandfather and father before him that he would have descendants as many as stars of the sky and sand of the seashore. So he is now part of the family. He's, he's now been blessed by God uh, in this dream. And so he wakes up and he, he calls the place Bethel, which is the house of God. And then he goes on to live with his brother, or no, his uncle, Rebecca's brother, L- Laban. Um, so he goes and lives with Laban. He works for him for seven years to get a wife because one of his daughters was cute. And, I, and uh, Jacob was like, sure, I, I like her. Let me marry her. And he was like, okay, but work for me for seven years. So he works for him for seven years. And then he gives her, or it gives him one of his daughters, but it wasn't the daughter 
that Jacob wanted. And so he says, okay, you want, you want the daughter you want? You got to work another seven years. So he gets a little deceived in the whole process. So he gets a bit of taste of his own medicine of people like shifting the system on him and, and using cultural stuff. And so he gets deceived himself, uh, but he ends up working a long time. God blesses him in that work. And Laban doesn't want to let him go. He wants to leave and go back home, and Laban doesn't want to let him go. But eventually, he sneaks away, and he wants to head back home. This is 20 years later now. He's heading back home to face his brother Esau and face the consequences of the decisions that he had made as a young man. Um, and that's where we're going we're gonna to pick up the story. He, he has to return home, and he, he's afraid of Esau. And we're going to read uh, in Genesis chapter 32, verse 24 through 32 what happens the night before he goes to face Esau. It says this, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. I'm going to read that again. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. So I guess he wasn't alone. Uh, When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man doesn't sound pleasant. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He's got a thing for blessings. He wants them all. Uh, but the man said, asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying this, it it is because I saw the face, or I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him, and he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So, what it, Jacob's alone in this moment. He, he's, what he's done is because he's afraid of his brother Esau, he's sent his family ahead of him. Very you know, courageous move. You know? And his idea is he's going to send half of his family one way and half of his family another direction so that if Esau is mad enough to kill his family, at least half of them will get away. Uh, so that's kind of wise, but also <laughs> kind of messed up. And also, he's sending them all ahead of them with a bunch of gifts to send to Esau to try to pacify him so that when Jacob comes, he doesn't kill him. So he's still very afraid. And in his fear, he has sent everyone away and he's alone. There's a whole other sermon for another day about how fear leads to loneliness. Uh, But Jacob is right there. He's alone. And then suddenly, there's just this man. This person appears. And like every stranger you encounter, you, they immediately start wrestling. You know, like that's, that's just rule number one. You're new. I don't know you. Let's go. Let's fight. And so that's what they do. That's the first thing. Maybe Esau's amped up. He was prepared for her fight. He's just like, ah, I'm just ready to go. But at some point, somehow, it just erupts into wrestling. And so they're wrestling with each other and they're, they're fighting each other. But um, it's not, nothing's happening. They're not the man, whoever this is, if this is God or an angel, is wrestling, and he, it says he can't overcome Jacob. He can't overcome him. He won't defeat him. And so uh, eventually it gets to the point where uh, he's like, it's time to go. It's, it's, uh, you wrestle all night, and then when the sun comes up, it's, like, all right, it's wrestling's over. It's time to go. 
And Jacob says, no, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And he says, what's your name? And he says, Jacob. And he says, not anymore. Your name is Yisrael. Yisrael, which is a combination of, of struggling and God and this word that means to provi- uh, prevail or um, persevere. He, he persevered the struggle. Uh, so he, he's making this word up and, and giving him a new name, uh, which means to struggle and to wrestle, but to overcome, to prevail, to outlast. Um, so he gives him this name, and he touches the hip of, of Jacob's socket, uh, which Jacob continued to wrestle after that point. Well, that's that's got to be difficult, but he, he continued to wrestle. Uh, and now his hip is, is out of its socket, and it seems like that's what the, the case for him for the rest of his life. So he's no longer able to do his, his classic deceive someone and run away. So now he's been deceived by his uncle. He's had to work for many years, and he's got his hip busted, and there's stuff, there's there's. His heart's beginning to change. Um, and we're going to see that in the next story. Let's read on. In uh, Genesis 33, right after that. Genesis 33, verse 1 through 4. Right after this fight, Jacob looked up, and there was Esau, coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, his two wives, and the two female servants, He put the female servants and their children in front of Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they went. So Jacob decides the next day that he's going to go. He's going to go and meet his brother. And now he's got a limp. He can't, he's got to go. He sent his family ahead and now he's got to, he's got to catch up to them. He's got to get in front of them because he wants to meet Esau first. And so it says he goes out in front of them. He does, by the way, if you notice, he does order his family in importance. That's a good father move. He puts, he puts uh, his favorite uh, wife and his favorite kid in the back so that just in case. So he's still got a little bit of fear in his mind. Uh, as he's, as he's going through with this meeting, he still puts his, yeah, that, that would probably be rough if you're, you're one of those kids like, okay, clearly. It starts to help you understand uh, the later stories with Joseph. But uh, he goes in front of them all and he goes before Esau and he decides to bow down seven times. And he's, he's now accepting the consequences of his, his decision, and he's taking it upon himself. Rather than sending his family ahead to see how Esau is going to respond, rather than waiting for all the gifts to get there, he's going to say, I'm just going to go up there, and I'm going to meet him myself. And he limps up there, and he gets in there first, and he bows down, and Esau, Esau doesn't kill him. He picks him up, and he, he kisses him, he hugs him, and they weep. 20 years had gone by. 20 years, and you notice it says Esau appeared with 400 men. So there's, there's a lot. He's been blessed. He's got, he's got people, and he got to live in his land, in, his, in this, this hometown that he grew up in, and Esau's been blessed. And Jacob has been blessed. He's got a lot of wives and children, and he's got a lot of things that he's acquired over the years and the work that he's done for his uncle. And he, so they've both been blessed, and 20 years have now gone by, and I think both of them have recognized that the things that they were fighting over as kids, they didn't need to. God was going to bless them both. God was going to take care of them both. And they were both going to, to have plenty. 
They, weren't, they didn't need to struggle. They didn't need to fight over it because they were both going to have more than enough. But Esau didn't care quite as much. He didn't care quite as much about the birthright. Obviously, he despised it. He was willing to give it up for a bull of stew. He didn't care as much about the traditions. In the story, we find out that Esau married foreign women, which they were told, you know, kind of not to do that because they'll introduce their foreign gods. And yet he continues to do that. And he's just trying to get his parents' approval, but he doesn't have as much respect for the faith and the relationship they have with God. And so we see that Esau is, is caring less and less. And eventually their descendants, we know this, that, that Jacob's descendants become the nation of Israel and, and Esau's descendants become the nation of Edom, uh, the Edomites. And so they don't worship God by the time we encounter his descendants. They're, they're not worshiping God anymore, and Jacob's descendants are. So if we're looking at this story, and we're trying to figure out why Jacob and why not Esau, and what's this all about? Why was God selected? Because obviously there's no one in this story that we're sitting here being like, ah, this is great. Isaac didn't really listen to his wife or trust God, and he, chose, he wanted to bless Esau anyway. And so he created the, the situation where they had to deceive him, and it's because he wouldn't listen himself. Rebecca comes up with the plan to deceive her husband. So that's not great. Esau is impetuous and willing to kill and full of anger. And so he's not great. And Jacob is a deceiver, a usurper. And so he's not great. None of these people are all that great. So why, why is God picking Jacob? Uh, why, why does God want him to be the third pillar in this story? Well, I, there's three things about Jacob. One, we, we know about Esau. We know Esau was impetuous. We know Esau, he, he's, he's, not, he's clearly not respecting the relationship that his family has with God. He's not respecting the promise that God has given him. Uh, but that's just my, that's my interpretation of that. But why Jacob? There's three things that I want to point out in that. One, if it makes you uncomfortable that Jacob is chosen because he didn't deserve it, one, he didn't deserve it because of the cultural thing, which, why should God have to listen to culture anyway? Uh, God gets to decide who he wants to bless, despite whatever culture says. Uh, but also, if you're uncomfortable with someone receiving a blessing they don't deserve, you're probably in the wrong room. We all have received a blessing we don't deserve. That's the nature of this story. So why Jacob? Because... He doesn't deserve it. He, ha- he has respect for it. He has desire for it. He, he does know what it means to the family. He does know what it means to be blessed, and he wants it, and he's chasing after it. Now, here's the thing. I, I think God wanted to give it to him, too. That's what he said to his mother while they were in the womb. He wanted to bless him. He wanted him to be the child of promise. And so God was, God's been chasing after him this whole time, trying to bless him, and Jacob's been wrestling with all these people, but he didn't also realize that he's also been wrestling with God his whole life. God's been chasing after him, saying, I want to bless you. You just got to stop trying to bless yourself. Let me bless you. Let me do this. And so he's been wrestling with God this whole time, and God's been trying to do this, but Jacob doesn't deserve it. He doesn't feel like he's going to get it, so he has to deceive and usurp and, and, and connive to get what he's after. He's not trusting God to fulfill his promise. But he still receives it anyway. And the same thing works for all of us. Jacob sets up uh, the pillar of relationship where it's the undeserved blessing comes to the people that don't deserve it. 
the blessing comes to the people that don't deserve it. And so we have now joined in with that family because we don't deserve the grace that we receive. We don't deserve to be part of this family. We don't deserve to be redeemed. And yet we are. We're, we're entering into a family where there is a blessing that's given that we don't deserve. So Jacob resembles that uh, and reflects that. And it's uncomfortable. I, I, I'm uncomfortable with that as well. But I also understand why that's necessary. The second thing, and this is the most important thing, is that... Um, he gets named Israel. Jacob gets named Israel, which is, which is framed after this relationship that he's had with God and with others where he's wrestling with people. He is struggling with them, but he is not being overcome by them. He continues to struggle. He continues to fight. He continues not to give up. He continues to not let go. Even when his hip is ripped out of its socket, he is still wrestling. He won't give up. And God's, God commends him for this. And God names him a new name and says, you keep struggling. I, I, God probably doesn't like his methods or the way he's gone about it, but he's at least commending him for this, that at least you don't stop. You don't quit. And then God ends up naming his entire nation after Jacob. This faulted man, this person, this deceiver, God names his nation after this man because of this relationship that he had with God where he continued to struggle but wouldn't give up. And this is super important for us to understand. One of the most important lessons we can learn in this is that this, this means that God is expecting relationship with us to be a struggle. He's expecting his relationship with his people to be a struggle. We knew that he knew what it would cost to be in relationship with us long before he sent his son to die for us. But he also knows that being in relationship with us isn't going to be easy. There's going to be a struggle. There's going to be wrestling involved. And that's why he's named, he's named his entire people based on that. That relationship with him is going to be a struggle. And the people that enter into it and the people that continue on with it, the people that will be part of that are the ones that don't let go the ones that don't give up. And this is why it's so important. As a youth pastor for so long, I was trying to teach students about having a relationship with God and understand you've only got maybe three, maybe four, maybe five, six, seven years at most to, Im- to impact these kids' lives and teach them something important. And one of the things that it dawned on me early on that it, it was absolutely necessary is for me to teach them not to give up. And for that, I had to teach them that their relationship with God was never going to be perfect. For some reason, we think because we're in a relationship with a perfect God, our relationship with Him is going to be perfect. That we're going to like everything He does, that we're going to agree with Him, that everything is going to be perfect. We're going to sing His praises without any hesitation for the rest of our lives. But that's just not true. It's hard to be in a relationship with God. It's not His fault. And we're definitely the ones in the wrong but you're going to struggle in your relationship with God. You're going to wrestle with him. You're not going to like the way he's going about things. You're not going to be able to trust in him all the time. You're not going to be able to know exactly what he's doing. Jacob felt like he was supposed to be blessed, and yet his father was going to bless Esau. And he felt like he had to take matters into his own hands. This is the kind of thing that we're struggling with our relationship with God is God tells us that he loves us. God tells us that he cares about us and the people around us and yet we see struggle and we see pain. We see suffering. We, we go through all these lives and then we struggle in our relationship with God and we question him. We doubt him and then we think that we've lost our relationship with him because it's no longer perfect. This is what I was trying to get through to kids. Like, no, that's not what relationship with God is. That's not what he named his people. He didn't name them perfect. He didn't name name them good. He didn't choose Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob because they were perfect or good people. He chose them because they believed and they, they 
hung in there. He named his people struggle, and he named them wrestling, and he named them persevering. That's what he's looking for in his relationship with us. He's looking for people that persevere, that hang on, that don't let go. Not people that do this perfectly, people that just don't give up on it. And out of that relationship, out of that wrestling, he will change us and he will make us into the people he wants us to be. And that's what happens with Jacob. He conforms him. And yes, and this is the, uh, another thing that you have to understand is that in that process, in the process of him changing you and, and molding you and making you into the man or woman that he wants you to be, there's going to be pain. Pain is part of the process. It always is. That's, he had his hip rip, rip, wrenched out of his socket, and he has to live with a limp the rest of his life. And I can't imagine it was super comfortable to have his hip outside of its socket the rest of his life. But it helped him in his process become the man that God wanted him to be. He wasn't a perfect man beyond this point either. He kind of becomes a crotchety old man. It's <laughs> like, not a perfect man, but he still has a relationship with God. And that's what he's looking for with us and understanding that we just, we need to struggle. We need to, we need to be okay with that relationship. We need to be okay with the struggle we have with God. We need to even get angry at God. Understand that you're the one that's wrong, but that's okay. You can still struggle with him in that way. Just don't give up on that relationship. And the last thing that happens in that process is authentic, real change. And this is one of the things that I'm pretty uh, strong about in, in my preaching because I, I really hate when people come to church, they hear about what you're supposed to look like on the other side of relationship with God, and they just try to mimic that. If you're not going through the relationship and you're not having real change, if you're not going through the wrestling match with God, if you're not going through the pain process and the sanctification and, and the grace that God has given us, then whether or not you look like a good person on the other end means nothing. It means nothing. The, the relationship with God, the wrestling, the struggle, the, the pain that's part of that process, that's the real relationship. That's, that's what really matters. You go through that, and then you end up on the other side, a changed person, and God has brought about real, genuine change in your life. That's what matters. But don't try to mimic that without going through the process first. So be in relationship with God. Understand that it's going to, it's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to receive things you don't deserve and you're going to wrestle with God because you don't understand. But don't give up. Don't let go. And if you make it through all of that, you'll see real change in your life. There's consequences, but there's growth. God can use the pain for good. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.